Hey everyone, before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast right here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you wanted to host a podcast but just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As a part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, obviously like myself, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only 15 bucks a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But again, that's bwhustle.com slash join. The 2020 season had been very un-Browns-like. Then, Week 16 happened. It began with the Raiders, who somehow allowed the Dolphins to drive down the field for a game-winning field goal in 19 seconds, making the Browns' road to the playoffs a little bit tougher. In the midst of that collapse, the Browns were informed they'd be without their entire starting wide receiver core because of COVID tracing. Then, Jedrick Willis got sick, joining Wyatt Teller as a spectator on the sideline. The result was a devastating loss at the hands of a one-win Jets team, as the Browns' offense simply couldn't survive without so many key parts. So, here we are. A team that once had a 95% chance of making the playoff, now sits at just 57. Its easiest route to its first playoff berth since 2002 is now beating a team that's treated it like a ragdoll for decades. Sure, the game is in Cleveland, and sure, Mason Rudolph is set to start at quarterback for the Steelers. But that queasy feeling remains in the stomach of Browns fans, whether they want to admit it or not, that the possibility of losing to a tanking Jets team and a Mason Rudolph quarterback Steelers team in back-to-back weeks could cause the Browns to miss the playoffs entirely. The Browns have been through plenty of horror stories over the years. This one would be in a genre all of its own. But despite those anxieties, there's hope for the Browns yet. They should be relatively healthy and supremely motivated, not only to get into the big dance, but to avenge the beating they took in Pittsburgh earlier this season. Win and you're in, as the saying goes. The Browns have never needed to beat their rivals more. I'm Jordan Zerm, and this is The Rebuild. Hello, what is up, and welcome into the regular season finale of the Rebuild Podcast for 2020. It is New Year's Eve. Tomorrow, we no longer have to say the word 2020 when referring to our present time, whether that is an NFL season or whether it is that hellscape that we've lived in for this entire year. So that alone is cause to crack open a nice IPA, maybe have one or two, because if you have more than that as a 30-year-old, 32-year-old, excuse me, let's get my age right. Um, we all know the effects one or two IPAs can have on an older gentleman like myself in the morning. So be careful out there, okay? Stay safe. Don't have too many IPAs. Um, I'm your host as always, Jordan Zerm. We have come to week 17, and we have reached 
the regular season finale in a place where the Browns probably didn't exactly want to be. And as I said in the intro of this podcast, and apologies also if I am a little bit echoey today, my USB cord for my microphone just decided to break. Uh, can no longer connect. So just add that, uh, add that to the list. Add that to the running list of things that are still happening even though there is less than 24 hours until it is 2021. Anyway, getting that gripe out of the way. Um, yeah, the Browns, as I said in my intro, had been cruising along on this very non-Browns-like season. They had a head coach who was doing generally smart things. He wasn't calling draws on fourth and nine, a la his predecessor. He was not running a handoff at the goal line to a tight end for the tight end's first ever carry. Shouts to Pat Shermer, my guy. It was a it was a really just normal, successful, pretty nonchalant in terms of like drama around the team season. It's been such a long, long time since the Browns have had anything resembling that type of year. But you know, the Browns couldn't be immune from it forever. There's just the the strong pull from the ghost of Brownie the Elf that is it's always gonna be there and it's always gonna haunt them. And you know, it decided to give them 15, 15 weeks of fairly normal football, and then week, week 16 came, and, and it felt as as brownsy. it was that old brownsy feeling that sort of returned. And again, in the intro, I touched on it, but that, that Raiders loss, you know, had the Raiders beat the Dolphins, the Browns would have simply just needed to win, and they were in. Now, you know, the Steelers um, coming back to beat the Colts, did the same thing for the Browns, and I'm sure there were guys on the sideline that were scoreboard watching, but I think just the the morale and, and knowing that the Dolphins had lost on Saturday as the Browns prepared for that Sunday game would have would have just, I don't know, maybe sparked them a little bit more, um, maybe made it a little more sense of urgency for them in terms of like, oh, okay, like we, we already have this wrapped up if we simply win here today. Uh, but of course the Raiders and John Gruden decided to play some cover two, in the final 19 seconds and leave the sideline wide open for Ryan Fitzpatrick, who hit a deep ball despite his head being turned halfway around on his body, a la the exorcist. And the Dolphins kicked a field goal and beat the Raiders in in the waning seconds in, in something that should never have happened. So you already had that to begin with. You're already feeling pretty weird about it. You're already feeling pretty depleted. And then the Browns lose half of their football team. They're playing... Uh, people, something called a Jamarcus Bradley, something called a Marvin Hall, who just, it, it reminds me of, I think it was two seasons ago, where the Browns were like alternating practice squad receivers each and every week, like onto the active roster, like Bryce Treggs is the name. Like they could have trotted out Bryce Treggs on Sunday and I'd be like, oh yeah, definitely that guy's still on the team. Or, oh man. Kassan Williams, was that his name? The guy that, that was with the Seahawks really briefly and then came over to the Browns. Um, another guy that like was active one week, then got sent down back down to the practice squad, then was active another week. Like Just a complete and total mess that was, of course, under one Hugh Jackson. But yeah, so it was essentially like having those guys just rotating in, but instead of like just needing one to kind of fill a spot, you, your whole entire roster was full of them and... You know, just from the get-go, as we as we get into this Jets game, which I really want to preface by saying, I think 
it should really absolutely this game needs to be thrown out the window. Um, I don't. It feels like one of those games. It feels like a data point that is just going to be a total anomaly when you look at the season in full, because. Like I said, like no disrespect to Jamarcus Bradley, who actually had a couple of really nice catches down the sideline for the Browns. So shout out to him. Uh, he seems like he could actually be a legitimate um, NFL like third wide out uh, as he goes along into his career. But like, you know, you you have this offense that you've been working on all season. You have Baker Mayfield, who's been getting used to Kevin Stefanski's offense all season and really sort of found himself in this groove in the back half of the season, especially after the bye week. And then all of a sudden, like a day before you're set to play a game, you lose a guy in Richard Higgins and Jarvis Landry, who's Baker has fortunately been throwing to for years. And even a guy like uh, Kadero Hodge, who really has uh, been prominent this season, but played a little bit last season you lose Donovan Peoples-Jones, who had really been coming on as a rookie uh, and, and made some really nice plays for the Browns. And so you're essentially left with Austin Hooper, David Njoku, and Harrison Bryant. And, you know, for as talented as those tight ends are, it's, it's just hard to run an offense when the defense knows that you're probably just going to be focusing on on these tight ends, on guys who are not sort of naturally known as, as separators, especially, you know, Austin Hooper is a, is a good player. Uh, I think he's been a little bit underwhelming this season for what the Browns expected out of him, but he's a guy, you know, that plays in space, uh, a guy that finds holes and zones. You know, the biggest knock on him during the time that the Browns were signing him in free agency was that he's not a guy that's going to beat man coverage. And I think we've, you know, we've seen that he's just not really a guy that is going to get separation that is as athletically talented as, as maybe Harrison Bryant is. And even Harrison Bryant, I wouldn't say is the most explosive. And, um, you know, Harrison's had a good season. He's had a couple of fumbles that have been unfortunate. He's had a couple of drops that have been unfortunate. He's a rookie. And then David Njoku has kind of just been, you know, the saga of David Njoku requesting a trade then rescinding it then asking for it again. And, um, you know, so when you're when those are your three main guys in a game, and then the rest of your receivers are guys that literally were doing a walkthrough in a garage on a on a Sunday morning or on a Saturday night, whatever that was, it's it's hard to really take much from that. Like, do I think that Baker Mayfield missed some throws? Like, absolutely. Um, I think you know the biggest one that we talked about was. Uh, late in that second half, he had Jamarcus Bradley, who came open on a really, really nice double move down the left sideline, wide open, and Baker just misses him. And you know, I thought it was maybe a miscommunication at first, but Baker really, the ball kind of just lands out of bounds. So Baker didn't even really give it a chance. Um, that's one of the throws that you really would like to have back. Um, but like outside of that, as I was going through this game and rewatching it, this is what happens when not only you lose your wide receiver core, but you're, you lose Jedrick Wills and you don't have Wyatt Teller on your offensive line. And the two guys that come in to replace them in Kendall Lamb and Nick Harris just had an, I don't think it can be understated, the disaster of a game that both of them had. It wasn't even just like on a couple occasions they got blown up. They were consistently getting walked back behind the line of scrimmage by the just defensive lineman. So that really, it's just, especially in an offense like Kevin Stefanski's that, that is full of a lot of timing stuff. And, and as Baker continues to learn it, like you just can't have that many people get subbed out for, you know, replacement level players or below replacement level players, which is essentially what the Browns are playing with. And um, 
there was a there was a note that I jotted down. So Derek Willies was a, another practice squad guy that came up and played. There was a play that I watched where um, he lined up on the left side of the formation. The Browns were running a running play to Nick Chubb off to the right, and Derek Willies' responsibility was to get up to the second level and try to block a linebacker. And Derek Willies, literally the linebacker, takes a step to his left, to which would be Chubb's. Uh, which would be to the right of the formation that the Browns are running. And Eric Willies is behind him, so he's already a step behind the linebacker, literally pushes the linebacker into Nick Chubb for the tackle. Like, just decided, oh, I sort of missed this initial block to kind of, like, push him backwards, so I'm just going to push him sideways right into where Nick Chubb is. <laughs> Nick Chubb had, like, a one-yard gain. Now, it wouldn't have mattered. Even if, like, Willies had made the block, the play was already a disaster. But, like, I think that's just – when you bring in Derek Willies, somebody like that, and you're like, okay – like, here's your assignment on this running play. I want you to get up to the second level. I want you to hold this linebacker until Chubb can get through. Like, these are things that are going to happen. He's going to end up um, missing his initial, like, that first step. Linebacker's by him. He's pushing the linebacker directly into Nick Chubb uh, for the tackle. So I thought that was a huge sort of uh, representation of what that game was for the Browns. Um, even... Even, like, there were a couple times Joel Batonio had a couple of rough ones. There was a pass play that Baker dropped back and, and missed the ball to, I think, Austin Hooper because Joel Batonio got pushed literally into Baker's legs, like, was on the ground getting pushed into Baker, and Baker got rolled up on. So there was that. There was a, a miscommunication on a, on a throw from Baker to Harrison Bryant, even a guy he's been throwing to all year. Baker thought Harrison, at, at the stem of his route, was kind of going to stop and, and go to towards the sideline. Instead, Harrison decided he was going to kind of, like, cut in toward the middle, of the middle of the field. Baker threw it to the outside. Bryant was moving to the inside. It was a miss there. It was just stuff like that that was going on, going on all day. Another play where Baker had Harrison Bryant wide open, and Nick Harris just got absolutely wrecked. Uh, guy was by him, like if you blinked, it was over. Baker didn't, did not even have time to get that throw out before there was a defensive lineman straight in his face. Um, it just makes it really, really hard when you have that many people, key pieces, not just like, oh, we're missing David and Joku, like key pieces to what you try, what you're trying to do on offense. And I think we've seen in the past when Wyatt Teller is out, how that affects the offense. Um, and all that. So it's just, it was a really tough day. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, you still would like to see Baker make some, some plays despite, um, all the difficulties that were surrounding him. And he did. I mean, he made some, that, that throw I mentioned previously to Marcus Bradley, uh, sort of a back shoulder throw was beautiful. Um, you know, but he's, Dropping the ball a couple times, the fumbles coming out are tough. You got to hang on to the ball. It's just really a bad day for everybody, and I think the Browns will hopefully rebound nicely against Pittsburgh Steelers when you know they have most of, at least offensively, they seem to be closing in on full strength. So, but it just felt like the the most Brownsy game that you could have in a time where you just like you could not have that game. Because had the Browns simply won that game, they would have been in the playoffs and they would have could check that off the list. And then you don't have to freak out about this game against against sort of like the zombie Steelers, but it just doesn't matter. Like it still feels, it's still it's still the Steelers, and it still just feels like the type of game that they could lose because this is the history of the Browns, and until they do something differently, like this is just what it's going to be. So. Um, 
Yeah, so a win for the Browns this weekend against the Pittsburgh Steelers, who will be starting our good friend Mason Rudolph at quarterback, who will be sitting guys like Marquise Pouncey, will be sitting TJ Watt, which is a huge deal. They're going to be sitting a lot of guys. I think some of the other veterans probably won't play the entire game. The Steelers are basically handing the Browns this game on a platter, uh, and that terrifies me. The NBA is back in action, and football is heading right into the playoffs. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season-opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Do, would I, would I, yes, I 100% would rather all these players be out. Uh, I would 100% rather face the JV squad of the Pittsburgh Steelers. But one time, as a, as a young tennis player for Cleveland Heights High School on the varsity, we traveled to, I believe it was St. Ignatius. Uh, first of all, this is disrespectful. They had like scheduled another match for their varsity because, you know, they just did, they, they turned their nose up at us. They didn't even want to, uh, uh, you know, they didn't care enough to realize that they had, like, double booked. So we get there, and the varsity team is not there. So St. Ignatius' varsity team is not available. Cool, we'll take that W, take that St. Ignatius. Just kidding. Uh, we're going to play their JV team. I was playing doubles with uh, someone who I can't actually remember who my doubles partner was at the time. I believe his name was Mike of some sort. We lost. Well, we lost to St. Ignatius' JV tennis team. And this is not because we were bad, although we were not great. Their varsity, their junior varsity team was just that good. Now, I don't think, like Mason Rudolph, I think we can agree, is big trash. I don't think Mason Rudolph, had I played Mason Rudolph in that uh, that matchup, junior varsity tennis match, I would have won. I'm very confident in saying that. Um I don't think the Steelers' B team is is anywhere near sort of that scenario in terms of talent, but like it just you never know. You go into a game with a mindset of like I'm we're going to be facing this person and this person, and then they they tell you you're not going to be facing them and you relax a little bit, and it's just it is such a trap game. It is the definition of a trap game, and it is terrifying. And I'm going to be terrified for every single minute of that game on Sunday, even though I think like the Browns should are in a position and have the type of coach and have had the type of season that this should be something that they're able to accomplish. But last week freaked me out, man. Like last week, you felt it. I still feel it in my bones. It was that Brownsy week. And I, I don't want that to continue in to week 17 because if the Browns lose, which would be a disaster, like if the Browns lose, you just feel like it's over because really the only other legitimate and not this isn't even a legitimate thing, but the Colts would have to lose to the Jaguars, and there's just a .01% chance that that happens. So the Browns have to win. They have to beat their rivals at home in a game they have to have against a bunch of backups. And, like, if they can't do it, I think somebody said this on Twitter, if they lose to a 
a one in thirteen or whatever they were Jets team, and then lose to a a Steelers team that is resting a bunch of starters in back to back weeks that you probably shouldn't, you know, you don't really deserve to make the playoffs anyway, despite having ten wins. Like that would be too embarrassing of back to back weeks. I would not leave my home for years. I wouldn't show my face in public. I would probably change my identity. It would be very similar to 2007. This was before the Browns um, went on this little run and won 10 games and missed the playoffs, which could be eerily similar, but hopefully not to this season. Um, I used to go to a, uh, at the University of Missouri, I would go to a, a bar every Sunday that had NFL Sunday ticket so I could watch the Browns. And that first game, if you remember 2007 season, I think a lot of people forget this. Uh, they, I believe they actually played the Steelers. They destroyed, um, Charlie Fry and the Browns so badly that the Browns ended up like trading Charlie Fry like week two and started Derek Anderson. And I remember ahead of week two, I was like, I'm not even going to wear my Browns gear into the bar this week. I'm so embarrassed. I can't even, like, I can't even be seen in public wearing Cleveland Browns gear. And then the rest of the season happened, and they they dragged me right back in. They reeled me in with their fishing rod. But that 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 would be what I would have to do briefly for uh, if they lose this game um, to the Steelers. I would have to go into hiding. I would have to go into maybe like witness protection and get an identity change or something like that. So uh, winning, you're in. Losing, you're ninety nine percent chance that you're out because there are scenarios that you just don't want to have to wish wish that will happen. Um, Something else I wanted to get into that I see that I saw a lot on Twitter was I think people like to just just yell run the ball into into the void like they just want to scream that into the void. Uh, I didn't think you know it's 2020. I was hoping that that still wasn't this sort of line of thought was that um, if you simply yell run the ball. Um, you will suddenly appear in like a visor and a whistle around your neck because now you too can be an assistant like football coach. It's just, I feel like a lot of people didn't even watch the game. I saw a tweet from The Athletic from a column of one of their writers who was like, had the Browns just run the ball more? You know, why did they throw the ball 53 times and on and on? And it's just like, I don't think any, did you, I just, it's very confusing to me. Other than it just being a really easy thing to do, They'd be like, run a, run a football, you know, other than it's fun to say. The Browns couldn't run the football against the New York Jets. They tried. Uh, early on, they tried. Now, I think the very first series the Browns came out and they threw the ball three straight times, probably would have liked a run mixed in there. But also the Browns, you know, you got to go against tendencies a little bit too. It's Kevin Stefanski, you know, puts more of his offense on tape. So you want to go against tendency a little bit. But they could not run the ball, and for big reasons, it's because you had Kendall Lamb and Nick Harris trying to make blocks that Jedrick Wills and Wyatt Teller are usually making, especially Nick Harris, especially the right side of that line. Um, Nick Harris was not able to get the job done. The Browns ended up with a negative EPA for running on the day, which is not an uncommon thing. Most... Um, most of the time, you can, you, the Browns are going to end up with a negative overall EPA. It's just the inefficiency of sort of running the ball and, and how it results out. But the Browns, um, and, and it was low, the Browns' negative EPA. It was close to zero. So you're thinking, oh, okay, well, that's actually not that bad. Why didn't they try more? That was heavily influenced by Kareem Hunt, who had a four-yard touchdown, which resulted um, in 1.1 expected points added. So that was like a full point added on to that uh, 
in a positive way onto, onto that total. That means the rest of the Browns runs that day were super, super negative. The other run that got them a, a positive EPA was obviously Nick Chubb, but it was a one yard run into the end zone. You're literally just falling into the end zone. So like pretty skewed from that side in terms of overall expected points added. And, uh, the rest of their runs the entire day were all for negative EPA. Um, they just could not run the ball. And then they get down 20 to three. So no, they're not going to run the ball anymore. So I, these calls, like these people that just do this run the ball thing without giving it context or, or understanding like what was going on and how the Browns were having no success on the ground is just, uh, it's very frustrating. It's a very, just, I think, it's like the low-hanging fruit. It's like if, a, you know, some there were 100% people on sports talk radio shows just doing the, well, if the Browns simply ran the ball more, they, you know, they, especially in the first half, I don't know why I have a southern accent. There's probably not a southern, a lot of southern radio hosts covering the Browns. But um, in general, run the ball is a weird thing to yell on a day where the Browns, one, couldn't run the ball successfully, and two, were down 20-3 to three at one point. So, just stop. Just don't. I I don't know. Just weird. Just don't do it. Just watch the game and be smarter about football, I think. And stop yelling, run the ball outside, of, like out your window and out your front door at anybody who's going to listen. You know, just there's no time for that. And it's annoying. Don't do it. Two thousand twenty has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is crucial. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps find you quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visit Indeed each month, according to Comscore's total visits, so it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hire. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. So go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Our final point as we gear up for this game is is actually taking a look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I think like obviously this is not going to be the 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 actual Pittsburgh Steelers that we've seen uh, throughout the season. Um, they had a really nice comeback win. I mean, the Steelers were kind of left for dead. I think they were down twenty four to seven to the Colts. Maybe it was twenty to seven, like barreling towards their fourth straight loss and unable to do anything on offense and just. You know, what a, what a tale of two halves for the, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, but still, I think it is useful to sort of look at where, where they were when the Browns played them in week six and, and where they are when the Browns are now going to play them in week 17. And it is, it is vastly different. I, not so much on defense and 
their defense is phenomenal. It's one of the best in the NFL. Um, like I said, they're not going to have guys like um, T.J. Watt, who is probably going to win Defensive Player of the Year. Um, Bud Dupree, a couple weeks ago, out for the year with an injury. So, like, they're going to be missing guys on defense, and it's not going to be, you know, that exact defense. Um, but if you look at, like, where they were uh, – Weeks one through five on offense, and this was coming into the game against the Browns where they score 30-plus points, although a couple of those, Minka Fitzpatrick had a defensive touchdown there. Um, but their offense was, it wasn't great, but it wasn't horrendous. Um, they still couldn't really run the ball at all. They were negative EPA on um, on rush attempts, but they were throwing the ball fairly decently. Um, they were sort of... But they were throwing the ball pretty well, actually, at the time. Um, they were only slightly behind the Kansas City Chiefs in terms of EPA per play on dropbacks. Uh, this is through, through work, through week five, excuse me, ahead of the week that they were taking on the Browns. So, um, their passing offense was kind of humming. They were still doing a lot of really short throws, getting the ball out quick, but, um, their receivers were sort of, and, and maybe there wasn't enough tape on it yet, but the receivers were sort of making things happen after the catch with Chase Claypool and Juju Smith-Schuster and Deontay Johnson and all those guys. Um, and as we've gone through the season, we have seen that once defenses sort of figured out what the Steelers were doing and uh, how Big Ben really wasn't able to throw downfield very much, his accuracy downfield was bad, his arm you know, isn't what it used to be, uh, and defenses started figuring that out, their offense has really come to a grinding halt. They've gotten somehow worse at running the ball. They're sitting almost at negative .15 EPA per play on rushing attempts, which is, I think, only that it looks like only the Lions and Texans have a worse EPA per play on rush attempts than the Steelers do. And... Their passing offense has also gone way, way backwards. Um, I think, let's see where they were at. Like I said, they were behind. They, they were at about like EPA per play of 0.3 positive, um, maybe 0.2.5. They dropped all the way back to just point, like 0.1 uh, on EPA per play. Positive, just barely positive. Um, for reference, the Browns are sort of sitting towards that 0.2. Um, so a full point ahead of the Steelers. So their passing offense has really kind of gone backwards, and they, they simply cannot run the ball, which is uh, another thing where, like, the defenses are just like, go ahead, you run it if you want, we're not going to worry about it because you guys are garbage at it. So um, it is definitely a big divide between where the Steelers were when they went in and, and blew out the Browns in Pittsburgh and where they are now, which is a vastly different team. Now, they found their offense a little bit downfield vertically against the Colts, had a couple of nice long balls from from Ben Roethlisberger, one to Deontay Johnson for a touchdown, but they still can't do anything on the ground, and their passing offense just isn't really what I think people thought it was at the beginning of the season when they were really relying on their wideouts to do all of the work as Ben got the ball out of his hands and, like, point, you know, quicker than, as you're reminded, every single broadcast that you watch with them on national television. Well, you know, Ben used to just roll around in the pocket and throw the ball deep. Doesn't do it anymore. He's getting the ball out quick. I think I've heard that preface their offense every single national broadcast that they've been on this season. So I'm, I'm good on all that. I think we get it. Big Ben is uh, not hanging out in the pocket very much anymore. So, um, 
there's a chance here for the Browns, a very good chance for the Browns to return to the playoffs. For the first time since 2002, they would probably be the seven seed. Um, they could play the Bills or the Steelers again. I think those are probably two of their, their likeliest options at this point, which, you know, those, both of those games would be really, really difficult. Both would be on the road. But I think just simply making the playoffs would be such a huge deal for this organization. I honestly don't even care. I can say this 100%. I believe this. I don't even care if they if they lose. I really don't. I almost I honestly would be expecting them to lose. My ex- that's where my expectations would be because those are two the Bills and Steelers are two very very good football teams, but simply the fact that there would be January football with the Browns in it, I think would do wonders for um the team, the city and this coaching staff. Like Kevin Stefanski coming in his first year on the job, dealing with the craziness that he has, like no outside of the Broncos having to start um, a non QB. I think that was the only like crazier thing that the Browns um, have had to deal with. Aside from I, I guess the Ravens when they had to play the combo of RG three and Trace McSorley and um, in that game where they lost, you know, a bunch of people to COVID, but they, they knew that they had, like were losing players to COVID. This wasn't like, Hey, by the way, you play tomorrow, but today we're taking away half of your receiving core. So one of the crazier things I think the Browns have had to deal with more so than any team in the NFL this season was, was that instance of that. So it would, it would just be a huge deal for this organization and this team to make the playoffs and to just be there and just get to go out and experience that. And even if they lost a hundred to zero, It'd be whatever. You take what you've done this season and you go into next season and you build off of it. And um, I don't think it can be understated that getting that experience and getting that validation, both of those things are just enormous. So the next time I talk to you next week, we are either going to be celebrating or I'm going to come on here and give you a fake name and maybe talk about like the best scented candles for winter because I just... If they lose, like I said, I just can't, I don't know. I'm just going to be wandering this earth lost and unsure of things and unsure of how the universe works because it would just be devastating. So let's uh, let's put that off to the side. Let's not even think about that. And let's have a celebratory Browns are in the playoffs for the first time in almost 20 years podcast episode next week. Thank you guys, as always, for riding with me through an entire Brown season of football. I appreciate every single one of you who listen and who download this podcast and who have uh, stuck with me for the year hiatus and then coming back and enjoying this. Shout out to everybody else who has helped out with this podcast, especially shout out to my guy, Peter Moses. So, um, you know, it's been a, a group effort and um, this is it, man. This is the finale and Let's go Browns next week. Biggest game. We've had a lot of big games this year. Biggest game against their biggest rival. What I mean, really, what else? What more could you ask for? So hopefully I'll talk to you guys next week and we'll be popping bottles and I will not be Jordan firm selling you, trying to sell you a Christmas-scented candle uh, so you can keep the holiday feeling in your home for, for days to come. All right, this has been another episode of The Rebuild. I will talk to all of you next week.